0: Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering six conversations from Season 3, Episode 27, our wrap-up of the fifth global NASH Congress that took place in London on May 27th and 28th. This conversation includes the on-site wrap-up discussion between Louise Campbell and Rachel Zayas. It focuses on key issues each of them took from the conference. They cover quite a wide range of conference talks and issues with references to the importance of patient advocacy, liver structural issues, including Sven Frank's keynote on early changes in liver structure with relatively low fat volume, and Becky Taub's discussion of liver volume, the idea of transfer RNA as a therapeutic intervention, a new VCTE device, and the innovative Julius Clinical GRIP study. If this sounds like a lot of topics to cover in only 15 to 17 minutes, listen carefully. The 5th Global Nash Congress brought together industry, academic, and patient advocates in a forum that covered an array of issues and perspectives. We've tried to bring you an assortment of these in the Episode 27 Conversations. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn Discussion
1: Louise Campbell. So Rachel and I are here and we're going to wrap up, discuss the fifth Global Nash Congress, which was obviously held in Heathrow Airport last week. What we're going to do is briefly sum up what we thought of the conference, and then we'll be adding this to other sections later on in the episode as it gets put out. So Rachel, just tell me, and did you bring anything back? Did you get any new ideas? Did you get any better lessons on topics that we've already known a little bit about just to share? What what did you take home from that? Rachel
2: Zayas. This was a great conference in the sense of it was a culmination of business and industry, predominantly clinicians and academics. And what was really nice about this conference was that there seemed to be a, a keen focus on patient advocacy groups and patient awareness. I think that there was three specific talks on strategy for patient awareness groups. And this seems to be a new trend focusing more on strategy rather than just discussing the challenges. So that was interesting. And it's insightful and just overall good combination of these different industries coming together. A specific note that I found new and compelling, and I think that this has been published in several papers previously, but it's new to me, is this idea on on liver volume. So later in this podcast, I will be interviewing Dr. Rebecca Taub, who's the CMO at Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, and one of her findings in the resmuteron studies, I found it compelling that Liver volume was assessed during the study and it opens the window of discussion to determine if this could be used as a potential diagnostic
1: surrogate. I think the liver volume has always been something that's been recently proposed, certainly from the maestro studies, and I've certainly heard Manal and Marzin talk about it. And I suppose for me theoretically, if you take out the fat and you don't replace it, therefore volume would naturally decrease. Do you measure more collagen? Does the liver go stiffer? Does the liver go softer in that as you get the volume down? I don't know. I I think you can see some anecdotal work, both sides from a fibroscan perspective that's only potential because of course you're only measuring stiffness when you do fibroscan but I agree with you there were some really interesting topics I thought the patient advocates did an amazing job so there was Jeff McIntyre from GLI and there was Marco from ELPA European Patients Liver Association and I think it was one of the comments I'd made in 2019 when I first attended this conference that was no patient input whatsoever there was no nursing input which still stayed the same there was still no nursing input in it at the moment. But certainly the patient advocacy side was a lot stronger and strategies that they're both bringing to the conversation. And I suppose the key ones for me were probably the two keynote speakers. William Alawazi, who did the Friday morning session, brought up some interesting points. And I'll have a chat about that a little bit later in this summary. But the one that interested me both at Barcelona and he gave more details this time was Sven He discussed obviously the potential mechanisms for portal hypertension with liver fat and particularly showed that early structural change in the liver that causes periportal distension by the look of it from the slides. But for me, that's important because, of course, cardiovascular disease is one of the biggest outcomes of people who get fatty liver. What he opens up there is these very early changes we could potentially be measuring in fasting, non-fasting, scans. because, of course, your liver shouldn't cause any peripheral resistance to blood flow when you eat if it's in normal state. So are we and then able to look and track early people whose livers are changing before they get to portal hypertension? therefore, to look at the mechanisms. So. Let
2: me probe your perspective further. What do you think is important to know
1: during fasting and non-fasting. We introduced real-time fiber scanning in our consultant clinics so that everybody walking through the door got a fiber scan who needed one. Now they are traditionally in non-fasting conditions and we would only bring one in 10 back that was a patient in a specialist liver center for a fiber scan as a routine appointment. So that cuts your timeline. You see who's got normal livers in a non-fasting state. If they're non-fasting and you're not worried, thank you very much, you've got less of a concern. But for the those who eat following and you increase their blood pressure that's not a normal response from your liver and we should be really really dig, digging deeper and delving down into why that happens because that's not a natural state for the body we need to see a lot more trials going into that, we need to use tools that we've got in the way that they're designed not just for one of two aspects but look at them and combine them, but I've got thousands and thousands and thousands tens of thousands of fiber scans behind me so I see these, for me it's about Using the non invasive tools we've got for what they can best do. And if not, experiment. Sven certainly touched on that in Barcelona recently at the NAFL Care Conference, and he particularly expanded a little bit on that. So that was the thing for me. So, were there one or two papers that attracted your particular interest? And if so, which one? Yes.
2: Hermona Sarek had a really interesting uh, paper presentation. She's from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Israel. Her and her team were assessing transfer RNA fragments as a new potential therapeutic for alleviating napld related steatosis. So for context, transfer RNA is a small molecule that plays a key role in protein synthesis and it serves as a link or an adapter between the messenger RNA um, and the growing chain of amino acids that synthesizes the, the protein. So this is a new type of therapeutic as well as a potential diagnostic and what they found and what she described in this study is that they looked at regulatory RNA between the body and the brain and what communication was going forward. So they found that there were various short transfer RNA fragments that were induced in human NaFLD. And what they did was they then replicated this in a diet-induced mice study and found similar transfer RNAs that shared the same oligonucleotide or sequences that were found in obese mice. So what they found is that some of these targets could be used as therapeutic agents. And I think that this is a really compelling paper because it's really looking at this new era of gene editing and these various aspects of the human genome. So I think that, well, this might be one of the few initial transfer RNA therapeutics. I don't think it's going to be the last. And I think that this is new and upcoming, not just in NASH and fibrosis, but this is really starting to be echoed in other spaces as well. It's interesting, it's compelling, and and it's exciting because I think that it aids in a simultaneous assessment of, okay, if we can determine driver mutations or driver oligonucleotide sequences, we can transfer for this to therapeutics through gene silencing. So I'm really excited to see what comes of this and subsequent studies and other
1: studies that are using these same mechanisms for therapeutic agents. I suppose one that really got me interested was the one by Julius Clinical. Now, they covered a lot, but they particularly covered the GRIP study, which is basically putting the... Clinical guidelines into practice because, as we know, most people don't follow clinical guidelines. They come out retrospectively to what care is already available, and it takes an awful lot of levers to get people to follow them, and money. And often, money does not follow the clinical guidelines. So, and they're changing them from what I gathered slightly because what they're doing is putting FibroScan ahead of Fib4 because they're routinely just scanning people in primary care. I think they were looking for 10,000 patients done in primary care through 10 countries in Central Europe or not the UK or Ireland. So it'll be interesting to see what they find from that. What we've got later or within this podcast is a presentation or a discussion with Dietrich um, Grobe from Julius Clinical. So on that specific topic. So that interested me because it's about the practical implementation of what we can do now. What can we do better? We have guidelines. We've obviously got Jeff Lazarus' reports done on the preparedness of Europe. And interestingly enough, all of the countries being used are not in the preparedness top categories. One of the specific talks that you were just alluding to was with
2: Helena Cortez pinto She's a professor of medicine at the University of Lisbon. She was discussing how, although the United Kingdom leads the, the way in the best case scenario for preparedness, to address this current and and emerging epidemic, there's still many, many, many gaps. And there are gaps in policies in civil societies, in guidelines and and care management. This was, at least for me, the first conference where these different entities were described more in a strategic approach than just saying, like, we need to do better. And it seems to be transforming from we have a problem, we're not prepared, to here's what the strategy is is to to get to those next stages. So I think we have an awareness on what looks good and even good has many gaps in the United Kingdom
1: as well as Spain and then where many other countries are falling behind. William Malawazi did the emerging approaches to NASH treatment and strategies. as a keynote on Friday. He raised questions about placebo lines in the NAFLD and NASH studies, which we've always done, but he brought it from the perspective of all of these people in the NASH placebo arms tend to be on medications like pyroglyphs litazone, vitamin E, things that we know can affect the outcome of NASH and therefore should they even be included or and I suppose my thinking taking that on would be should we be matching them to the the actual treatment arms so that we can see them in direct comparison. If they are on drugs that we talk about stabilising disease that we know work even though they're not approved for NASH but they help in their diabetes control, they help in their hypertension, they help in their statins, they've got to be having an effect. So I suppose he was raising that as to whether or not that was a particular issue going back to some of the sponsors, there was a new device shown there for the first time, which would be something that would go in direct competition, I suppose, with FibroScan. It is a 50 hertz sound wave, but done with two-dimensional ultrasound. So I actually got to visualise my liver this time and I tested it out. I think you did as well. So we both have healthy livers, which was always good news, but I know my liver health and and I use it and I know a lot of physicians who use it. So I think if it's good enough, for us to use. My concern about it is it's a great looking device and I think it's very visual. The same as I talk about for Annie, a visual aid is better than somebody telling you what your FID4 score is. Most people don't understand it. But it was Joel Gay and it was eScopics. Their device is engaging, but it is never going to be compared to biopsy. It is a surrogate of Fibroscan, which as we know is a surrogate of biopsy. So we've got another surrogate of a surrogate. Now, how much uh, some areas of the world will respond to that, but I know it's got its FDA approval. I know it's... Going for EMA, I don't know the price, I don't know the cost, but it does what it says on the tin. It shows you cap in decibels per meter. It shows you fifty hertz waves. So they claim that they have kilopascals and are equivalent to Echosense and think So there is an interesting tool coming onto the market. Whether or not we'll see that shown at Easel, I don't know. And I suppose smaller conferences like this give opportunities. So that was something that interested me. From how do you deliver it? How do you think it, it's an engagement? It it. Gives gives you information that's supposed to be equivalent to, but I don't have the evidence to say that it's equivalent to, but that entertained me. Anything else you think the audience might want to know about the Congress? I think we've done an adequate assessment so, so
2: far. I just want to re-emphasize like, I'm really excited to see from my bias perspective, the emergence of gene editing tools going forward with therapeutics as well as diagnostics. I think they're multifaceted and I am interested
1: to see more. So, hope to see a lot of the follow-up discussions uh, coming up at each fall in a few weeks. I totally agree with you and I think for a small conference, because some people have to pull out was speaking and they had to do it remotely they managed to deal with the technical issues of that really quite well the other thing that i would probably say is it could be hybrid i think yes you don't get to see some of the um, gadgets and toys but there weren't that many but the quality of the presentations that were done were very very good they linked them nicely i thought it flowed very well and i thought the inclusion of patient perspectives certainly to some of the people in the room who never really engage with the patients their mouse modelers their do this and i think as marco said we're all patients at some time in our life so therefore we have a vested interest in how we both treat people and look at how that could be done for us so i thought they did a really good job and some of the data that came out was really nice and it was a nice a a nice mix let's see what our interviews all pull together for the thing but it's been great working with you thank you so much bye and now back to roger
0: we hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week to preview International Nash Day. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye bye now.